I want to preach a message tonight uh, that's called Mountains Move. Mountains Move. Say that after me. Say Mountains Move. Just talking about tonight, I want to talk about something that Jesus spent a little bit of time on in the Gospels where he spoke about mountains and how he spoke to this idea that he was teaching his disciples, but also you and I, that through using something that he called faith, that we could see miracles happen and that we could see mountains move. And I want to show you tonight from actually the words of Jesus, how you and I can move in faith to see mountains move. You know, one of my favorite places that I would take the kids, but particularly when they were younger on holidays, was we always loved to, particularly in the winter, was we'd go to the farm. So we'd always, the winter, we'd go to the farm. So our auntie and uncle, they have a farm at a place called Kingaroy. They've got a dairy farm out there, beautiful spot. They're great, they're great people, great country people. We'd always take the kids out there once a year for a bit of time out on the farm. And what I loved about going on the farm was that we were city family, so everything that we did on the farm was always brand new. So we'd go out to the farm, and the first thing the kids would want to do, it was Uncle Pete, and it was Arnie Pam's farm, and they'd love to. The first thing they wanted to do was jump on the back of Uncle Pete's ute and just drive around the farm. Like, seriously, how good is it just to stand on the back of the ute? And we would kind of pretend that we were helping Uncle Pete with some jobs around the farm. But really, we were just burning around the ute, cruising around the farm, doing all this sort of stuff, helping Uncle Pete with all the jobs that were going on. And uh, we loved it. The kids loved it. They'd get horse rides. We'd feed all the animals. We'd, uh, we'd go for rides on the ute. We'd do all this kind of stuff. I used to love it too because uh, um, Auntie Pam, she actually made, she was a great cook. She still is a great cook. But I tell you what, if you've never been to Kingaroy and experienced what it's like to have homemade fresh scones, people, with jam and fresh cream, I'm telling you, you haven't lived. But anyway, that's another one. Put it on your bucket list. Go out there and do that. But uh, I remember one trip that we went out there on the farm with the kids, and I remember one time we went out to the shed. There's heaps of sheds on the farm. We were just looking through the sheds. I can't even remember what we were looking for in the shed. Anyway, as we were going through and looking, we stumbled upon this little treasure. And what we found in the back of Uncle Pete's shed was we found one of these old-school billy carts. Like, I'm talking about the classic ones, people. You know, the ones made out of the old timber that's been lying around on the farm? It's got the rope as the steering wheel and someone has accidentally taken the old wheels off the lawnmower and put, put them onto the billy cart. And so we found this, and I was like, I was a dad, you know, and I'm like, how good's this? I've got the billy cart, and I said, kids, I know exactly what we're going to do. And there's an old dirt track, the big hill, a dirt hill at the back of the farm, and it was a road. Uh, well, I think road would be exaggerating. It was a dirt hill that had lots of potholes and lots of rocks on it, and I said, I've got just the perfect idea for you kids. And so what I did is I took the kids up the top, and I think Joel was the first one. I decided to give a crack at it. I said, Joel, you sit here in this billy cart, and as you're staring down this, this gigantic hill, and I said to our eldest, Haley, I said, Haley, you get the phone, and I want you to film this. Because how many of you know if you don't film it, it didn't happen? And so they were standing at the bottom there, and they were filming it, and there's it just great moments, because the best thing about this billy cart, in all seriousness, was that it didn't have any brakes. Well, there are no brakes on this billy cart. It's just, in fact, really the only way, there was no safety precautions on this. What I would do is you just take a big run up, and I thought this is a great dad moment. You'd push them down the hill. The only way realistically that you could stop this billy cart was either one of two things happened. Either number one, somehow miraculously, you managed to steer your way and keep on the dirt road track, and then when you hit the bottom of the hill, it flattens out and you stop. That very rarely happened. 
pretty much 90% of the time what would happen is somewhere along the way they'd hit a pothole, a rock, they would go off onto the side, go along on the grass, the billy cart would flip and they would turn over about 17 times and then they'd come to a stop. And so I remember this, this is great scenes, we still have the videos, we still laugh about it now, no one died. No, 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 but, but I tell you, I remember these because it was like as I began as a, as a dad to kind of push them down the hill, what would happen is their eyes would literally become like saucers. Honestly, the look of fear in their eyes was worth it all. And it was captured on film just to see the fear light up. And then as they would go down that hill and, and sometimes, you know, about one in every 10, they'd make it to the bottom. But I was thinking about, I was thinking about fear that actually there is a healthy fear, right? Like the one that my kids experienced on the farm. That's actually a healthy fear because that kind of fear usually comes with adrenaline and it helps you to concentrate and it helps you to focus, usually in dangerous situations. But there's also an unhealthy fear. There's actually a kind of fear that seeks to control our lives, that seeks to bring anxiety and turmoil and uncertainty into our lives. And I think that I, I, I'm certainly stating something that I'm sure that every person here agrees with, but I wanna say it anyway. The last few years, all across our world, there has been such a ramping up of this type of fear. And I know this, it is absolutely vital that as Christians we understand something, that we have an enemy. The Bible says, Jesus says we have an enemy, his name is Satan, his name is the devil. He's opposing God. He's opposing us. We have an enemy, and he wants to use this thing called fear to gain access to our lives. The reason he wants to use fear is so that he can use fear as the vehicle to control our thoughts, to manipulate our feelings, and he wants to influence our decisions because ultimately his plan is to separate us from God and from all of God's purposes for our lives. But the good news is that fear can be resisted and overcome by faith. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says this. It says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you know the scripture is crystal clear? God has not given to you a spirit of fear or a spirit that should bring anxiety or a spirit that brings doubt into your life. God has given us, in Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always brings faith. Can I tell you the one hallmark of God? Is that when God comes, God brings faith into our life. And it's through faith, the Bible says, that you and I receive God's power, we walk in God's love, and we have a sound mind. In other words, our, our thoughts and our thinking become healthy. Faith in God, I'm telling you today, faith in God is the greatest gift of God because faith in God will help you travel through every trial. It'll help you go through every difficult circumstance and challenge. And ultimately, faith in God will help you to come out in victory. And best of all, you'll see mountains move. But you and I actually need to learn how to activate and use our faith. In the book of Mark chapter 11, Jesus what we see is Jesus has been spending time with his disciples. They're in a little town called Bethany. 
Now, what we see is Jesus has been spending time with his disciples, and they would travel from this little town called Bethany, and they would go to Jerusalem for the day, then they'd come back home. This was a trip they would make every single day. And in Mark chapter 11, verse 11, it says, Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts. He's in Jerusalem. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went back out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as he was leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance there was a fig tree in leaf, he went out to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Verse, four, verse 12, it says, Then he said to the tree. Now, can we pause for a moment? Yes, Jesus is speaking to a tree. I have family members, and they will remain nameless, who have been known to have very long and deep conversations at times with our golden retriever, a dog. Jesus is going next level. He is speaking to a tree, right? Now, here's, here's what you need to know. There's many reasons, but I would say the most important reason is that this tree that Jesus speaks to will then become an object lesson to teach his disciples about faith. He says these words to the tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now we're going to move to verse 20. And what you need to know, verse 20, now 24 hours has passed. A whole day has passed. It says, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree, the one from the day before, and now it was withered up from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And now here we go. This is where Jesus teaches. Jesus answered, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go and throw yourself into the sea, does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have already received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Jesus uses the object lesson of a fig tree to teach us some very important principles about faith. Here's the first principle that Jesus teaches us. Number one, we must have faith in God. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. The first thing that Jesus teaches us is actually the most essential thing that we need to know and that we must have faith in God. Notice that Jesus didn't say, have faith. Have you ever heard someone just say like, hey, you've got to have faith? And that's true. Well, it's half right anyway. You see, it's not just, faith is not just like putting some divine or biblical law into motion. What Jesus is saying is faith is about trusting a person. Faith is about a relationship with God. And how many of you know it's, it's actually very hard to trust someone that you're not in relationship with? Let's just say, like, for example, let's just say that a stranger, right, comes and knocks on my door, and I open the door up to that stranger, and that stranger comes to me and says, can I borrow your car for a few hours? Do you know what my response would be? Uh, no, quickly followed by a closing of the door. Why? Because I have no relationship with that person. But, but if Pastor Josh came 
to my front door and knocked on the door this afternoon and said, hey, Andrew, can I, can I borrow your car for a few hours? Do you know what I do? I'd grab the keys out of my pocket. I'd throw it to him and say, thanks, Josh, off you go. I'd ignore the speeding fines. I'd, no, 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 joking. <laughs> no, here's why. Because I have a relationship with Josh. I trust him. I know that Josh is reliable. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. Jesus is teaching us what is the most foundational principle of faith, and it's actually about you and I having a relationship with the Lord. In fact, having faith in God literally means I trust God. Having faith in God, it means that I, I, I trust God's character because I know that, that God is faithful. I know that God is reliable. I, I know that God is trustworthy. I have a relationship with Him, and I know that through that relationship Him, I can trust His character. I believe having faith in God means that I believe that God's power is greater, greater than any circumstance, greater than any situation, greater than any lack that I'm facing, regardless of the context I find myself in, regardless of the circumstances, even irrespective of my feelings. For example, it means this, if there's sickness in my body, having faith in God means I believe that God's power is greater than this sickness. If there's uncertainty about a decision I need to make in life, having faith in God means I believe that God has the power to give me wisdom and to guide and direct my steps. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says this. He says, I pray that you, that's you and I, would understand how incomparably great God's power is to help all those who believe Him. You see, it's by faith we understand. It's by faith that we see how incomparably great God's power is to who? To all those who trust Him. To all those who believe Him. And I believe this too, having faith in God, it literally means I know that God is willing. You see, it's one thing to believe that God can, but it's a whole other thing to believe that our God is also willing. Not only is God able, but God is also willing. See, the enemy tries to undermine our faith all the time by whispering lies. He says things like, you know what? Well, God doesn't care about you. God, God's not concerned about you. You know, God will, God will help that person, but God will never help you. Because the enemy has a strategy. He wants to undo our faith, and it's always about trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God. James 1 verse 16 says this, Don't be deceived by the deceiver. My dear brothers and sisters, Every good, every perfect gift is always from above. It comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights, and He does not change like shifting shadows. Can I encourage you tonight? Your God is a good, good Father, and when you put your faith in Him, you will always see His goodness prevail in your life. We must have faith in God, but it's simply this. It's believing that God is trustworthy, God is powerful, and that God is always willing. Here's the second thing Jesus teaches us, that faith works by saying. Faith works by saying. Jesus spoke to the tree and it withered up. Mark eleven twenty three. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. One of the most important ways you and I can exercise our faith in God is actually through the power of our words. Jesus says, speak to the mountain. He says, speak to that problem. The problem 
some Christians have is that they spend their time speaking about the mountain instead of speaking to the mountain. What happens is many Christians end up, they they Google everything they can about the mountain. They, they, They study the mountain on Wikipedia. They consult about the mountain with every mountain expert that they can find. They ask ChatGPT to write an essay on their mountain. They can talk for days about how big and how high their mountain is, but Jesus never said, speak about the mountain. Jesus says, I want you to speak to the mountain. If anyone, anyone says to this mountain, Jesus saying, speak to the difficulty, speak to that problem, speak to that lack, Speak to that sickness. Why does Jesus say speak to it? Because he's given us the authority of the name of Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the authority which we speak in. See, having faith in God, it actually changes the way that you speak. What happens is when you have faith in God, you begin to declare things. You begin to prophesy the word of God. You begin to speak words of faith over your life, over circumstances, over other people, and even into your future. You see, faith in God empowers us to make words of declaration. Words of declaration. Genesis 1 verse 1, in the very first verse of all the Bible, we see God doing the exact same thing. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep. I love this. There was darkness over the earth, but the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Can I tell you tonight? The Holy Spirit is always hovering. He's always waiting. He's always ready. It says, and God said, God spoke, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And what happens, Genesis chapter 1, go all the way through to Genesis chapter 4, God speaks all of creation into existence. He begins to declare. He begins to speak his word out. And the Holy Spirit moves on every declaration that he makes. At creation, God is demonstrating this faith principle in action. That as we speak his word out, as we speak to and over circumstances, over situations, over the lives of people around us, things begin to change by God's power. You know, uh, my wife and I, with our kids growing up, that like, you know, our kids, they're just, they're normal kids, you know? They might be pastor's kids, but they're so normal. And they go through stuff in life. You know, they go through challenges. They'll go through sickness. They'll go through all kinds of stuff that's going on. And I just remember so many times my wife and I would do this, uh, like just separately, but we were always kind of partnering up in this, is that as they were walking through one of those challenging moments in in their childhood or even in their teenage years, oftentimes we'd find ourselves in a place where we'd just be walking around the house and we'd be praying for them. We would go into their bedroom and, and then we'd begin to like speak out a promise from God. We'd speak out the word of God, just declaring things over their life, declaring things over their future. And as we'd speak, just walking around their bedroom and, and declaring that, by the way, not while they were in the bedroom, because that would be weird, but, but when they weren't there and we'd speak that. And it's amazing how many times that then things would just begin to change and and atmospheres would begin to shift around their heart and and situations begin to resolve themselves and all these kinds of things. But here's why we did that, because I was taught this principle when I was a teenager that faith works by speaking. Hebrews 11.3 says, through faith we understand that the world's were framed by the word of God, so the things which are seen were not made out of things which are visible. 
I love how it says the worlds. Why would it say plural? Why would it say worlds? Because it's talking about a spiritual world and a natural world. It's saying the spiritual realm and the natural realm, both of those worlds were all framed. They were all created by the Word of God. Can I encourage you tonight? Let God's Word frame your world. Don't let negativity frame your world. Don't let fear frame your world. Don't let someone else's opinion or voice frame your world or your future. Don't, don't, don't be an echo of things that you've heard and seen from others. Let God's Word frame your world. Don't, don't allow those voices of negativity or fear or uncertainty. Don't allow it to get in your heart, but don't, certainly don't allow it to get in your mouth. Don't, don't ever confess something. like Don't say, that, oh, this will never change. Don't ever say, oh, look, this is just the way it is in my life. Don't ever say this is hopeless or, or nothing ever works out for me. Don't ever say something like, I'll, I'll never find a good job. I'll never get a good career. Don't, don't say something like, we'll never afford to be able to buy our own house. Or don't ever confess that, well, you know what? This kind of health problem, it just runs in my family. And I've got, there's nothing I can do about it. Can I tell you? Speaking scripture is the most potent thing that you can do with your mouth. Begin to declare his word. God has not given to us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. If, you, if, you, if you're worried about your future, then just begin to declare, the Lord has said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, we activate God's word when we speak it. But here's what's so important. Speaking words of life, declaring the promises of God will have an impact, but what you and I need to know is it takes time. You see, here's what's fascinating about this story. When Jesus spoke to the tree, it didn't wither up immediately. There was a 24-hour time gap between Jesus speaking to that tree and when they returned and saw that tree withered up. But here's what's so powerful. The Bible says that the tree began to wither up from the roots. What you need to see is this, is that below the surface, in a place that they could not see, in an unseen realm, those words were already having an impact. The tree begins to wither up from the roots. By the time they saw it 24 hours later, it wasn't just withered up from the roots, it was withered up from the branches, it was withered up from the leaves. Meaning the miracle first started in the unseen realm, the roots, before making its way to the visible realm where they could see it with their natural eyes. And I want to tell you, this is exactly how God's power works. God's power always works. It moves from the spiritual realm and then it makes its way to the natural realm. That's why Jesus said to pray like this. He said, pray, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says, as it is in heaven, now let it be on earth. See, it's vital, absolutely vital that we do not lose heart and we do not give up when there's a delay, but you and I learn how to keep speaking and keep declaring the Word of God. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand. Let's get the musicians up here. Then Jesus teaches the next principle, which we're going to finish on. He says, listen, faith works by saying, but here's another thing Jesus says, faith works by praying. Mark eleven twenty four, he says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you asked for in prayer, listen to this, believe that you have already received it and it will be yours. 
This is one of the most important teachings of Jesus about prayer in all of the Bible. It's actually one of the biggest mind shifts that we can possibly have about what prayer is actually all about. This isn't Jesus saying, hey, just pray for something. Just throw up some prayers upstairs and just see what happens. Let's just pray and hope that something changes. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have already received it. Do you know what Jesus is teaching? He's teaching that you and I can receive by faith what we're praying for even before we see it. I brought this up tonight. This is a a Nike box. By the way, in case you're disappointed, I'm not doing a a Nike shoe giveaway tonight. Okay, I just wanted to, sorry. But I, I wanted to show you this box right here. Look at the size of this thing right here. This is the box that a pair of size 15 Nike Airs came in. No guesses which one of our children that this one came in. So one of the, one of the great challenges of having a, a son who is uh, six foot nine and wears size 15 shoes is you try going to a shop and find a pair of size 15s. So how many of you know, online shopping is the greatest gift ever. And so just a few months ago, my son needed a pair of, of Nike, so I just jumped online, nike.com, found there, pair of shoes, size 15. I'm like, you beauty. Did the transaction, put the order in, and then straight away, I love online shopping, straight away, I put that, that order in, pay for that on your card, and then straight away you get this receipt, this proof of purchase that came through, email within like 30 seconds. I'm like, awesome. But even better than that, you know what I really love about online shopping? I really love real-time tracking. How good is real-time tracking? Seriously, I put this order in from Nike.com, all right, for his, his pair of Nikes, and I discovered straight away after the receipt came through, next the alert came through, real-time tracking had already kicked in, and I found out that in a warehouse in Munich in Germany that they had found the size 15 shoes. I'm like, yes, how good. They're now in Munich. And then literally like the next morning when I woke up and I checked another alert had come through. This was on my phone. And now it was at the airport in Berlin. I'm like, yes, we're making progress. We've gone from Munich. We're now in Berlin airport. I'm like, you beauty. And then the next day, the next alert comes through and it says, Chang'ai airports. I'm like, we're in Singapore. How good. We're halfway around the world now. These, they're getting closer every moment. And then the next day, the next alert comes through and it's like, it's arrived at Tullamarine airport. I'm like, we're in Melbourne. Yes, we made it. It's in a, my Nikes are in Australia. This is fantastic. And then the next day after that, I get the next one. It's like, it says it's at Brisbane Airport. I'm like, yes, I'm almost in the postcode. Those Nikes are almost here. And I'm cheering. Then I get the best alert of all. It's the alert that says that your shoes are due for delivery today. And so when they came in that afternoon, I made sure I snuck away from work early enough. And there they were. I just love that scene when, they, when you're on the front doorstep. There they are opened them up and there's the size 15 and gave them to my son. He's like, yes, how good. But I want to let you know, did you know that we had ownership of those shoes from the moment that we got the receipt? That receipt was our evidence. It was actually our proof of purchase. And here's what I want you to understand. The shoes might have been transit, might have been in transit, but they were ours from the very moment that we had the receipt. You see, by faith, we had already received them, but we were just waiting to see them. 
God's promises, every single one of God's promises, they are the receipt for the miracle that you've been praying for. God's promises are designed to be the proof of purchase that you have already received what you've asked God for in prayer. Having faith in God literally means this. It means I've taken the Word of God, I've taken the promises of God as our proof of purchase. And you might be like, well, you know what? My body is battling with sickness. Well, thank you, Lord. I've got the receipt right here. Jeremiah 17, 4 says, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Well, I'm uncertain about an important decision I've got to make in my life. I, I need guidance, but thank you, Lord. I've got the receipt right here. It says in James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. This is how faith works. You and I are called to take hold of the promises of God as our proof of purchase that we have received them and we are now just living in this mode where we're waiting to see those things with our eyes. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance. It's the evidence of things hoped for, the things that are not seen. You know what faith is? Faith is the evidence. It's the substance of things we're hoping for, things we're praying for. And I want to tell you this about faith. Faith is never about how you feel. Faith is never about how things look. In fact, when you can't see it and when you can't feel it, when everything looks like it's contradictory, faith in God's promises is our evidence. It's our proof that what God said that He will do, and I've received them by faith, and now I'm just waiting to see them. Come on, let's give the Lord a great hand. And I want you to stand to your feet. Come on, let's stand up to your feet. All across this place, would you close your eyes? Just in these moments we've got left, just I'd ask for two minutes, just two minutes of your time. Just close your eyes, please, just for these moments. Because what I'm going to ask is, is people to make, a, I believe, a personal but very powerful decision in their own life. During the last thing Jesus teaches here, He teaches about the hindrance to faith. He actually says there's a blockage to faith. And do you know what He calls it? He says it's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. Do you know what I've discovered in life? That actually the greatest blockage that you and I can have to having a relationship with the living God is something called sin. The Bible teaches us that we've all sinned. That's you, that's me, every single human being. And what happens is this, is sin separates us from God. Sin actually is like, it's like a chasm that we cannot cross. Sin separates us from God, and that's why God sent Jesus. Because Jesus hung on a cross for you and I. He went willingly to pay the price for our sins, to take the punishment for our sins. He laid down His life on a cross so that that sacrifice could become the bridge that you and I could begin a relationship with God. The Bible says that you and I need to make a decision in our life. And that's decision about not trying to be better, not trying to do good, not trying to just become a church person, not trying to do any of those things. No, that decision we make is that will we receive God's forgiveness and God's love in our heart? And if we do that, you and I actually discover that God comes on the inside of our heart and He changes us completely from the inside out. He pours the love of God in our heart. 
because he's full of mercy. He's full of forgiveness. He's full of love. Maybe you're here today. And maybe you've never thought about that idea even that you could have a relationship with God. Can I tell you, you were created for a relationship with God. I want to tell you this, because I stood in a church service like this when I was 18 years old, not having ever heard something like this before. And in a moment like this, I responded and I said, yes, I, I, I want to I ask Christ into my life. And I tell you, from that moment, when I was 18 years old, my life completely changed. I didn't try to become good. I didn't try to do a whole, no, I changed because God came and changed my life. He came and changed my heart. He forgave me. He set me free. He poured his love into my life. He gave me purpose. And I discovered that even from the time I was a young person, a child, that there was this, I call it a God-shaped gap on the inside of my life. There was an emptiness, an unfulfillment. But when he came into my life, when I asked him into my life, he filled my life with love, with purpose, with meaning. And I tell you, for every person, we have that same God-shaped gap on the inside. Only He can fill. In the book of Revelation 3.20, these are the words of Jesus. He said this. He said, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Maybe you're here tonight and you just got that sense tonight. That God's knocking on the door of your heart. Can I tell you the reason He's knocking on the door of your heart? Not to condemn you, not to judge you. He's knocking on the door of your heart because He wants to come into your life. He says, all you need to do is hear my voice and open the door. And He says, I will come in. Maybe you're here tonight. Maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you've never made that step before. Can I tell you today, you are only ever one prayer, one decision, one moment away from God coming into your life and changing everything. Or maybe you're here tonight and maybe you've made that decision before, but maybe you've drifted away. Well, can I tell you tonight, this would be the greatest night for you to come back to God. God is waiting for you. He loves you. He is for you. He's got the greatest purpose for your life. All you and I need to do is take that step and pray that prayer tonight. Just where every eye is closed across this place, no one's looking around. What I'm going to ask you to do just in a few moments, if that's you, I'd love you just to slip your hand up just so I can see it. I'll acknowledge it, and then you can put it down. And I'd love to include you on a prayer that I'm going to pray over our whole church tonight. But I know this, that one prayer can change everything. If that's you tonight, you're saying yes to Jesus for the first time, or you're coming back to him, just very quickly, just slip your hand up and say, yes, Andrew, that's me. Thank you, buddy, over there. I can see your hand. Who else is here tonight? You're making that decision. Maybe you're coming back to God tonight. This is that moment right now. You're saying, God, I hear your voice. God, I sense you knocking on the door of my heart. Just open the door of your heart to him tonight. If that's you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just going to give it another 10 more seconds. My heart tells me there's still one or two more people here tonight. And maybe even right now, you're just kind of wrestling with that decision. If that's you. Just slip your hand up and say, yes, that's me tonight. I'd love to make that decision personal for me tonight. That's awesome. Would you say this prayer after me? Say, Lord Jesus, tonight I open the door of my heart to you and I invite you in 
as my Lord and my Savior. God, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean and make me new. Today, I put my trust in you, God, and promise to follow you with all my heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said, hey, come on, let's give the Lord a great, great hand tonight. He's awesome. He's wonderful. If you slipped your hand up tonight, we're standing with you. We're cheering you tonight. That's the greatest decision you can make. Hey, come on, powerhouse once more. Let's give. Let's give God a big hand. Let's give those people who said yes to Jesus tonight a big, big hand. Have I got, Josh, have I got two more minutes? Brilliant. What I love to do right now is tonight, I really felt like this was a moment for some people here tonight where you're going to make a stand in faith. That there's a mountain in your life. Maybe it's a mountain of sickness. Maybe there's a mountain right now of uncertainty in your life. Maybe, maybe it's a mountain in terms of relationships in your life right now. And I believe tonight, just on this altar here tonight, that this is a moment that you and I could make a stand of faith and say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. God, tonight, I'm not going to feelings. I'm not going to circumstances. But God, tonight, I want to lock in in faith. If that's you, I want you to quickly just jump out of your rows. And I want you to come out the front tonight and just stand up here along the altar. There'll be heaps of people up here tonight. But I want you to come and make that stand tonight. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord.